Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast and welcome to episode 131. This is a unique and special episode because we are joined by two people who work at a very high level at Epic. And Epic is one of the largest electronic health record companies in the world, if not the largest. And they don't do a lot of press. So this was really, really special and really unique. We had a conversation with Seth Hain, who is their vice president of research and development, focusing on integrating analytics and machine learning into healthcare as well as Chris Mast, who's a family practice physician and is the vice president of clinical informatics at Epic. This was a really, really interesting conversation. These are two people who I found to be really engaged, really thoughtful, and very aware of what is going on in the world of healthcare. It's a challenging topic for sure. It's it's highly fraught. It's highly charged. This was definitely an opportunity to step into some tension together, and this was a this was a good conversation. And I'm, I'm really pleased that they were able to come aboard and listen to what I had to say, but also exchange some ideas and exchange some thoughts as well. Before we get to the conversation, just want to remind everybody, please take a look at the website. You can find the full archive there of 131 episodes, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at ETS show. I'm on Instagram at explore the space show. You can email me anytime, Mark at explore the space show. Love to get feedback from listeners. Love to get feedback, especially on big topics, big episodes like this one. You can find Explore the Space on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We are on all of them. Please make sure to subscribe. We've got this episode and lots more good content coming to you. And definitely go through the archive, look around, see what's in there. There's just so much good content. There's so many great episodes and incredible guests. Something there for everybody for sure. If you have the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review, please do so. That also really helps the show out. So without further ado, Seth Hain and Chris Mast from Epic. Chris and Seth, welcome to Explore the Space. I really appreciate you both coming on the show to share a little bit about what's going on in your shop and 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 talk a little bit about where we are with electronic health records and medicine in the United States. We're excited to be here, Mark. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to join. So let's start with let's let's set some kind of just foundational things because we are talking about electronic health records, we're talking about one of the most revolutionary things that has happened to medicine in the United States and around the world. Certainly in my lifetime, electronic health records, so you both know, I finished my medical school training in 2003. So where I went to medical school, biggest medical center in the world, when I was training, we were not yet using electronic health records really at any of the hospitals in the Texas Medical Center when I was in training. As I moved into my residency at UC San Diego, again, a major program, part of the UC system, electronic health records started. So the rollout for all of this came, I I felt the rollout, but that sort of gives us a sense of timing. We're talking early, mid-2000s, and everything is different now with respect to how we track our data, we track health records. Is that a fair assessment? Is that your both view? Because I want to make sure we're just sort of laying in these first principles. We're talking mid-2000s. But we're talking since the mid 2000s, a 180 degree change in the way we use, in the way we, the way we complete a medical record. 
I think that's I think that's fair, particularly from the point of view of the end user. Now the uh, the arc, uh, that trajectory, rather, obviously, as, as you're aware, was going on for many years before that, starting with people like uh, David Bates and Blackford Middleton and Paul Tang and a whole bunch of others looking at, well, how are we doing healthcare? And, of course, the, the Crossing the Quality Chasm report uh, saying, we aren't doing as well as we can. How can we use things like information technology to get a better handle on what we're doing, to be more reliable, to be more safe, to communicate better, all of those sorts of things. And that sort of culminated in a lot of different people, government payers and others saying, all right, we're going to both employ and incentivize the use of these tools. And uh, that's when things started to kind of uh, then move out of the Specialty centers, your you know your uh, your Regan Streets, your Mountains, your Mayo's, your Vanderbilt, those sorts of places where they were doing the initial studies to establish that these tools can help improve care. And uh, when the majority of organizations uh, underwent uh, went through that process of implementing the health records, and that's what you're talking about there. Um, and that arc, that trajectory is is continuing as as places are now. Uh, taking advantage of the tools that are in place yeah. and saying, how do we address some of these things that have been difficult to address before we had these tools? I, I think at the same time, you see many of the seeds uh, from a technology perspective that are coming to fruition now and that are kind of being used in mass scale already having been planted prior to, say, 2005 or earlier. So in many ways, it's some of the same ideas are there. It's the opportunity to use those more at scale and what you can automate and what you can continue to improve around outcomes with those is I think the trajectory we've seen over that time period. This is, this is good stuff because it gives people a sense, I think both of your view and the view of Epic and I would suggest probably most electronic health record vendors of what is the strategic view and what has been the strategic view. I would say kind of as then our second piece that I'd like to lay in so we have shared understanding, we're not going back. Whether we love EHRs, hate EHRs, somewhere in the middle or swing wildly back and forth, we're not going back to paper. I have no interest in going back to paper as a physician. I've got a long career ahead of me. Is that your sense as well, that we have crossed the point of no return, and now we have to, we're in the sandbox, we got to figure out how to play nicely together. Oh, yeah. I tell you, I'll give you an example. Um, I used to be a, uh, an Epic user, a customer at University of Texas Medical Branch down in Galveston, Texas, and, uh, you know, we're right on the Gulf there, so we would get storms, and occasionally the hurricane that would come in, yeah. um, or, and, and in one particularly bad one, um, it, you know, filled up our hospital clinic with water. So we had to go out to some other areas temporarily to see patients. And there was a time, a short time when we didn't have power. And so we did have to go back to some paper processes. And one of my colleagues who honestly had been uh, a little bit skeptical of the whole thing came to me after two days and he said, Oh, Chris, I owe you an apology. My hand hurts so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm filling out prescription pads, which I haven't had to do in years. When do I when do I get my electronic tools back? Right, so right. no, I mean we do look back. I think with some rose colored glasses. Those of us like me, I'm a family doc, 
who trained on paper and uh, think, well, you know, I remember this thing and that thing uh, that I liked, but I think the idea of going back to that um, is, I, I, can't, I, I can't imagine it, and uh, the vast majority of the, the docs and nurses I work with can't imagine. It's like talking about, well, gosh, I hate when people call me on the phone when I'm trying to do something else. Let's get rid of phones. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not a serious idea either. I think the other the other piece of this that's starting to come into play is that as the variety of types of data available in the system to help inform care and then the use of things like machine learning to identify and detect patterns and surface that information more and more into the workflow are as those tools are used to help design new ways to provide care, um, and new workflows in the system. It's not really a question of paper versus this tool for recording the information. It becomes about how one continues to evolve the practice of medicine with the use of technology augmenting the other ways that care is provided. So I think it, it, it isn't an either or anymore. Right, right. One of the things, one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned as a physician leader and leadership in general is identifying places where there's tension and opportunity and figuring out how to reconcile it so we can resolve the tension and, and collect on the opportunity. And Chris, you've pointed out that tension of physicians and healthcare providers feeling like sometimes we get really frustrated or all the time this is really frustrating, but we can't look backward. We can't use rose-colored glasses. So we have to look at how do we optimize this because we're not going back. And I'm sure you're both well aware. That's a real tension point for physicians. We collide over that. And, you know, we're saying people are really frustrated. Well, what is the alternative? And then, Seth, you've identified this tension point, too, of how do we make this better? What What are we going to do to make this better? We have these sort of ephemeral ideas of what is AI going to do and what is machine learning going to do? And they're becoming more and more real and tangible. But that's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you both came on because I, I would like to try to move through that. We've laid in these fundamentals and now we can try to reconcile some of these tensions. But let's start with this third thing. How much of a sense when you were working at Epic at the facility in Verona or when you're traveling, you're doing site visits, what is the temperature? What is your sense? And I'll start with you, Chris. What is your sense of the temperature of the end user in terms of are they happy? Are they satisfied? Are they struggling? And, or are they just completely underwater and there's a real problem here? So I have, I have two sort of lines of thought around that. Um, the first, I'll, I'll take the broader perspective. This is, this is a tough time in history to be a clinician a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, whatever it is, it's a tough time to do it. I mean, we've all seen the numbers. We've all been there in terms of so many things are converging in terms of uh, regulatory requirements, payer requirements, quality initiatives, all these things. In addition, I've got this um, tool set, this, this electronic tool set, where all of those things and more converge. And uh, we are, as a profession um, and as a society trying to figure out how to reconcile all of these things. And, and I, I think it's clear that in our trajectory where we are at a point, I think it is a 
transitory point, but we're at a point where um, these responsibilities, these initiatives, these things to do are not evenly distributed and certainly not optimally distributed across the care team. Um, so when I am working with clinical folks, yeah, it's tough out there. Um, and we appreciate that. Uh, we also appreciate that every time there's a, a survey or something, the, the EHR is on there in terms of things that make my life difficult. Now, when you pick at those things a little bit, you probe a little more deeply, you get to some of the other issues that I was talking about, and it gets a little more interesting um, in terms of, well, sometimes the EHR is the vehicle through which some of these other forces come into play. So the, the, in terms of the experience of being a clinician, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing. There's a lot of tension out there. Now, we look at it, and our experiences, and my experiences, that the EHR specifically can be part of the solution, a big part of the solution. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a powerful tool set, which, when properly employed, enable me to do things that I never could before, the population health, the bringing the clinical decision support stuff that I need right to the point of care, the use of efficiency tools to take all of this stuff that I'm expected to do and actually get it done. Um, so there's a fair amount of, in the community, optimism and excitement about those things while at the same time trying to manage this tremendous load and still advocate for what's really important, which is, which is you know, my sitting down face-to-face, eye-to-eye with a patient, with a family, getting the care done, taking, taking care of people, which is why all of us get up in the morning. I mean, that's what we do here at Epic as well, support our customers, support our clinicians in doing those sorts of things. That was kind of a long-winded answer, but yeah, there's a lot of tension out there from a variety of different sources. What I'm excited about is that we get to continue to work with the community to be part of the solution to some of those things. So, Chris, I want to put in something that you said really quickly, and then, Seth, I'm going to have you answer the same question. In the words, I like word choice, and you listed off a, a variety of things that an electronic health record as a tool can help us to do, but you prefaced it with can be, and I would like to ask why is it some, why is it a future state as opposed to is? Is something we are already doing now? What are the barriers that keep the individual physician or nurse or nurse practitioner or administrator from having that whole palette now? Because can be suggests a future state to me. And we want mm-hmm. to be there now. There is a, re- as you identified, right? It's tough out there. There is a real sense of urgency for this revolutionary technology to to really help be a rocket fuel for us, we're not there yet. What are the barriers that are going to move us from can be to current state? So it's interesting. Let me push on my word choice a little bit. In terms of can be, I use that particular word because in some places it is. Okay. Um, so these are the things that are not that I'm not looking forward to being possible that are actually possible, but that I don't see everywhere, if that makes sense. So when I say can be, it's because I see some people doing it. I kind of organize my thoughts. We, we on our physician well-being team, of which I'm a part here, um, use, use what's called the, the four M's. It's something that one of us brought back from a, uh, from a conference to, to organize what 
separates those who are really thriving and being highly successful from those who are doing stuff and getting by, but um, having more of a sense of, of rocks in the shoe, sometimes they call it. So the, uh, just briefly, the four M's are, first of all, doing work that matters. You hear a lot of things about, well, this takes me this many clicks and this takes me this many clicks. I almost never hear any discussion of clicks when people are doing work that matters to them. Um, things that I feel like are the appropriate things for me to be doing, decision-making, recording decisions, enabling care as a doc, as a nurse. So the first M is work that matters. The second one that separates folks who struggle more from folks who really thrive is uh, mastering your tools. So we spend, and you were just talking about your own training. I've also been through, uh, you know, my medical school and residency and all of us, fellowship training, all those sorts of things, investing tremendous amounts of time mastering our craft. It is important to spend time mastering our tools as well. And the places where I see that done well, um, not a tremendous investment of time, but a regular investment of time. Um, like, like practicing the piano, you know, you, you need to return to it now and again to make sure that your skills there are uh, at a similar level to your skills interacting with the patient, doing your diagnosis and so forth. You, want, you don't want any part of your skills to be holding you back. The third M would be making it your own. So we have tremendous ability within the software to set things to match what I do. The same way I you know, I drag and drop my stuff around on my smartphone, right? So that it works the way that I work. It presents things to me the way that I want to see them. And that goes a long way towards making my cell phone something that's comfortable to use. It goes a long way towards making the electronic health record something that is working the way that I work because I have helped it to learn about uh, me. And the final thing is measure and adjust. What we see sometimes when somebody puts a thing in place. You know, uh, some of your other guests have talked about things like pop-ups and, and things that I've got to click and so forth. We have and continue to expand the number of things that we can measure. So you measure when you've got a pop-up. Is that changing people's behavior? Is that doing what you intended? And our successful organizations measure that. And if the thing is not doing what they expected, they take it out or they modify it or they put it in a different part of the workflow until it is accomplishing that goal. So iterating on those things, the way that we, you know, uh, continuous, aggressive experimentation improvement, that is the way that uh, organizations can use these tools rather than just plunking them in front of a clinician and saying, hey, uh, go at it. Um, that's the way that successful organizations are able to do those things. As you say, though, there's a spectrum. Uh, not all places are successfully pursuing all four of those uh, M's. And that's where we have the opportunity to uh, help people, both by building awareness, by making sure that doctors and nurses and other clinicians are not just passive recipients of this stuff, but again, where we see success is where those folks are in the leadership positions, taking the lead on these things, working with the frontline clinicians to make things better with each iteration, taking the reins, as it were, as opposed to simply having things done to them. So, Chris, you just framed another tension, and it's, it's around, I think, perception of how this is all supposed to work, but it also frames how this can be better, because if we can resolve that, this can be better. And, Seth, I think this really falls in your wheelhouse. This issue of mastery, right, continuous 
reinvention and coaching and teaching and instruction and, you know, having people come and continually helping you get better, make it better, but also make the pathways and processes faster and more efficient. I will suggest to you from what I hear from my friends and colleagues all around the country and what I observe on social media from people that I follow, the current state is one where you get your training. The training is challenging. It's time consuming. Um, for some people, it's really difficult. My, my best friend's major institution in a major American city is about to switch to Epic next week. And I can tell you it has been an all-consuming thing for him. But it also feels like they get the one-off training, and then they're just kind of sent out into the wild. And that is a tension that we can reconcile because that doesn't match, Chris, what you just described, which I would suggest is a much better state. So, Seth, how do we – how does Epic propose to close this gap using technology, using things that can make us faster, and then using the aspirational technology, things like machine learning, to allow the users – to have a better experience when they're training, and then to have that better, faster, more efficient, more easy to master experience when they're using it with patients. I think there's there's an ongoing dialogue that is happening and needs to continue to happen between engineers, computer scientists, data scientists, those folks, and clinicians, informaticists, folks deep in the medicine, and, and a collaboration that can begin during med school training, continue through becoming familiar with the technologies used at the clinic or hospital where folks begin to then practice, but needs to be an ongoing dialogue. And one of the things we've tried to codify here at Epic has been a process of how to evolve that across the community as new technologies come out. So all research and developer kind of R&D folks here at the company participate in a process we call immersion, where alongside clinicians and other users, they have a dialogue about both what is possible today in the system, what could be possible, and the opportunities that those um, users see. And it's through that then that initial ideas and new technologies that get introduced, say machine learning, which I'll push back slightly on your wording there, wording choice, because I think it's more heavily adopted um, than you're indicating. But um, we've, we've moved into a state now where we are seeing machine learning in some cases being used just as another tool in the system for continuing to improve outcomes and automate those into the processes of the healthcare organization, informing the care that's being provided and increasing operational efficiency. So at a, at a baseline today, we see around three quarters of the organizations we work, are working with implementing and or live with machine learning in their system today, often to improve, say, acute care and the quality of it um, around something like early onset of sepsis, deterioration, fall risk, or to drive population health outreach as another example. And kind of through that immersion and adoption phase, organizations are also learning to use those tools on their own with data scientists and informaticists. They have building machine learning in to solve their organizational specific problems uh, 
challenges by embedding it in real time into their workflows. And then I think the final phase of that is codifying those approaches. And so through sharing clinical programs across the community, events like our user group meeting that we have coming up here in the fall, we try to create a dialogue across the healthcare community where those opportunities can be shared and folks can learn from one another to put them into practice, to understand what is the impact, how do, how do we help users gain an appreciation and a trust of machine learning algorithms that are introduced into the system? How do you monitor those as when you have tens or more live across your system? That sort of thing. So I think there's that process there from immersion to early adoption to kind of mass adoption through the sharing of clinical programs and that dialogue across the community that can really help both with the technology today, but then is repeatable going forward. That is that is a, a, a discussion that you just presented that there's a lot to unpack in there for sure. But there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me. One of them was this idea of you use the term immersion. I might suggest like something like longitudinal learning that it starts when you're a medical student that you're going to start to work with these things. Perhaps there needs to perhaps be more of a commitment. What I'm hearing from you to really make sure that it's not just that it becomes, you know, it's a talent and a skill to be learned like anything else. And then you use that word trust. And that's really interesting because that is something that I think there's plenty of room for growth. And one of the things that I would applaud both of you for, for doing this, we we mentioned briefly when we were talking before we started recording, Epic doesn't do a ton of press. And I recognize that and I appreciate you both coming on the show to have this conversation because I would suggest that there is a little bit of a gap there and, and that I think that there's an opportunity to rebuild that sense of collaboration, that sense of trust, that sense of we are wor- we have the same mission and we're working towards the same goals and it's not where it needs to be right now but it's going to continue to get better and we pl- as you said before planted the seeds to make it better Seth I'll ask you to kind of build on what you were just saying around this idea of longitudinal work and building trust how important are those two things to help kind of close this gap around how physicians and, 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 and healthcare professionals are perceiving their and, and experiencing electronic health records versus this future state that you, the, the current state that we can get to that Chris, you laid out so nicely that there are places where it is functioning highly. How do we, how do we close that gap both in terms of reality, but also that really important perception and trust? It makes me smile when you brought up the, uh, our shyness around um, the media it is far more comfortable for me to sit with some developers and some clinicians and spend time thinking about how to embed into the software a sense of transparency and understanding for users of what's going on than to spend time on a podcast. That's certainly the, certainly the case. Yeah. I think that the dialogue, though, is important because it can inform the design continuing to use tools, something we internally refer to as relevance, to continue to have the software adapt to the patterns and the uses of both the clinician using it, 
but also the context of, say, um, the patient that they're seeing in the room. Or as a patient, having their view back into the healthcare organization through something like my chart adapt to how their life is changing. Um, for me right now, it's pretty important that I have proxy access when I need to get in uh, and, you know, help my kids with their ear infections as an example. But for my parent, the more important piece is being able to deal with chronic conditions um, as they become elderly. And so regardless of the type of user, I, I want to make sure that we think about the usability of the system for everyone from clinicians to patients. And that that, tr that kind of transparency and understanding is there for everyone. And I, I do want to bring that into the dialogue as well. I think that that's a really important point. I think that, that a commitment for transparency is vital. And I think on that, I'd like to ask and inquire about your, both of you, and maybe Chris, I can start with you from the physician side. What is your perception of what if you're looking through you know, bi-directional glass and you're looking back into the physician world, you're looking at Mark Shapiro and his teammates and his pals and buddies from residency and his colleagues from around the country who are using any number of electronic health records, but a lot most are using Epic. What is your sense of the, of the, the perception, the dialogue, what's being written, what's in the peer-reviewed literature, what's on social media with regard to the use and deployment and continued interaction with electronic health records? Well, that's a, that's a small question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but let, so let's start that's, with a couple uh, things, right? Let's start with peer-reviewed literature and let's start with social media because that's, that's where a lot of physicians live. We obviously live in the peer-reviewed literature. We study, but we also are much more active on social media now than ever before. And we talk and we dialogue there. Does Epic reach mm -hmm. into those places to say what is being published? And also, what's the scuttlebutt? What is what's happening on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook with respect to the experience of using electronic health record? So that's an interesting thing. And I think something that we've evolved a fair amount on in the last couple of, of years. Um, as, as you were saying, you know, I mean, if you go out and look in past years, we, we haven't done a lot of media stuff. Now, I'll tell you from our internal perspective, from my internal perspective, we were, and I still think, we're very transparent. It's, it's a matter of with whom. So, for example, I think uh, just before we got on this call, I was on the phone with one of my uh, regular physician contacts at one of our customer organizations. We're talking through some of the things that are going on with their users, some of the successes, some of the things that uh, where he thinks um, we need to augment some of the software capabilities. And I have these conversations with people all over the world all the time. Likewise, we're always working with our specialty steering boards, which are made up entirely of doctors and nurses from our customers. Um, our usability testing, which again is those same people, regular focus groups, regular webinars, our users group meeting, our experts group meeting, people coming here, we're going there. We are constantly talking with people who are using the software, frontline users, people who are supporting those frontline users, all those sorts of things. And so our impression is we are continually engaged in the conversation. Now, we have learned, right, that um, that alone 
is not enough. There are larger discussions going on. And so in the past few years, we've taken some steps to be more involved in those sorts of things so that we can, again, be transparent with all of the different groups that are that have an interest in what we're doing, that have an interest in working with us and the, the customers that we're working with, the organizations that help make things better. So we've been expanding. We've been getting, I think, better about that. Um, with regard to the stuff that is uh, is in social media in particular, you know, as you know, I mean, you're engaged in a variety of different types of social media. It's a, it's a different type of dialogue than what you have when you're face-to-face with a user or a group of users. We, always, we haven't always been historically great at that, um, but my feel is we're listening to customers again and, and users who are saying, hey, you guys need to be more engaged in this regard. And so we're, so we're trying to do that. It is a, um, uh, it's a different way of interacting, but I think there is value having your ear to the tracks yeah. um, through all those different areas to say, well, hey, here's what I'm hearing from this group. Here's what I'm hearing from this group. How do we fuse all of those things together? Feed that into the mill as it were as we're continually working to make the software better, to make the user experience better, to make the, as Seth was saying, the patient experience um, as good as it can possibly be. As a developer, one of the challenges I experienced with social media in particular compared to kind of at-the-elbow conversations with a patient or a clinician is that I don't always get, honestly, I rarely get the specificity that I need to be able to go back, sit down at my desk, and program a solution to it. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, it, that's one of the challenges, I think, around the dialogue is I'd rather be heads down figuring that out with folks, elbow to elbow, and where we can find those real opportunities and then create an environment to share them. I think that has some real potential. I think that's a really, really good point, but it does also bring up, right, if we go to the literature, if we go to where people look and read, because they're two very different experiences, right? Reading the peer-reviewed literature and going on social media, they're different, and they have strengths and they have weaknesses. There's that. There's a JAMA paper, Journal of, American Inter- Journal of the American Medical Association, from just a couple of months ago in April, where there was a big study at an academic center looking at how interns, how first-year residents in internal medicine, which is my specialty, my training, how their time is being allocated. And they did it, they tracked over 24 hours. And the vast majority of their time during the day, especially when compared to direct patient care or learning activities, 10 hours of the 24-hour period was spent interacting with the electronic medical record. When that article was published, in my world, that was like throwing a boulder into water. It really caused a ruckus. People were really frustrated and upset, but they were also like, thank you. You have put into a place that we know carries weight and gravitas what we're experiencing. But Seth, to your point, that provides that opportunity that we say we should not have our interns, our residents, our physicians, our nurses spending almost 50% of the day just interacting with the electronic health record. That's probably not the future state. So does that feel like that that gives you that opportunity to say, let's get into that. Let's get on that and say, this caused a disruption. People were really frustrated by this. They're frustrated in the experience and they're frustrated when they read about it. But we have tools 
as you said at the beginning of the show, we've planted seeds and there's things that are already working that maybe Mark Shapiro doesn't understand fully yet to make this better. So, uh, so this is Chris, I'll, I'll start just by saying I was, you're right. You know, I read that article and I said, yeah, this is the experience. It goes back to what we were saying just a little while ago about that convergence of stuff yeah. that um, we have to deal with these days as clinicians that when you and I were training and before that and when the generation before us, certainly the folks who now are uh, doing some of the teaching, the uh, it's, it is too much. It is an overwhelming volume of things that take time away from care. As, as I said, the, you know, we end up center stage on some of that stuff because a lot of it goes through us. Um, but there's a ton of it that we need to have dialogue about which pieces of information are critical to be collected and which are not, which things make sense to measure and which do not, which things can we measure without having doctors and nurses be forced to click a button to meet the measure. That is a battle that we, uh, as the people who make the software, are continually fighting alongside our customers with the various agencies that say, no, you got to click a button. Or we aren't let me just say, let me just say, I really appreciate hearing you say that. I read the article, a different article, right? I read the one in, I think it was in like Kaiser News or something, death by a thousand clicks. My electronic medical record that I use now, it's not epic. It's really click heavy. It's really frustrating. It's really difficult. I want to be at the bedside. I want to be calling families. I don't want to be clicking around a a screen where it feels like it just never ends. So I will just say, I appreciate that you recognize that and that the click heavy basis is something that is a point of emphasis to make better. Yeah, I, I think that in addition to that, you start to see new ways of providing care that don't necessarily even need to involve. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what we get into the machine learning. That's the aspirational part. That's why Eric Topol's book is so popular because he, he came on the podcast and we talked about it and I, I have my concerns, but if we can use these really great tools to take the things away where the physician is just a razor's edge doing what they are best trained to do, that's a future state I can get behind, for sure. And at the same time, I think put additional information at their fingertips to help provide better care that's more informed. Yes. As data is coming in from patient-centered devices and, you know, IoT devices at, the, at home, as an example, in addition to things like genomics and, you know, even data flowing in, obviously, from other healthcare organizations yeah. from when they were on vacation, how does somebody reconcile all of that information effectively? And often one way to do that is through using machine learning to help assimilate it and then bring to bear kind of the, the focus of attention things that are likely to matter. That's not to say it should hide it. I want to be very very clear to that point. Um, It's important that folks can quickly and efficiently through something like chart search in our system get to the point of the chart that they want to dive into when they want to dive into it. But using these new technologies to help people move efficiently is, 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 I think, a key. 
looking at, in addition to, you know, Seth is talking about how can the system do the hunting and gathering, pull in the information I want, uh, another stream of development that we're working with a number of different groups on is, oh, how can I change the interaction in the room to, uh, to be more like what it was when I trained, perhaps, to be more person-centric. So I'm speaking, I'm talking out loud with the patient about the decisions I'm making, um, about the uh, the history of the present illness, what's going on. And meanwhile, the computer is recording that, is in real time, plucking out the elements for my documentation, teeing up orders, pulling in the things that it knows I'm going to want based on what the patient is complaining about. And then together, the patient and I have a brief review that says, all right, here's what we talked about. Here's what we're going to do. Any questions, anything else? Yeah. And the computer is and care of a bunch of that using technologies like ambient speech, like infrared cameras in the room to look at, well, you know, what parts of the body am I examining, how many people are here, those sorts of things. Um, that gets us part of the way there. But again, we all have to work together as a united front, clinicians and EHR vendors and healthcare organizations and payers and all of those different folks to make sure that we are focusing on the things that the system can measure well and automatically and getting away from this idea of, wow, there's no problem. We'll solve this. We'll just have somebody click a yeah. button. Well, and, and, and this idea of things that we can measure, right? One of the things that we measure a lot in medicine and we measure it with lots of different variables in play, and I know you both are aware of this, is where there's tremendous attention, scrutiny, and very real concern is around physician burnout and workforce burnout and workforce turnover and the connection of the electronic health record to that. And there's, there's, there's data aplenty that shows that one drives the other. And I would suggest that's where the sense of urgency comes from. Seeing in real time what happens to physicians who burn out and then also being engaged with the data and then also having podcast episodes around it. We know that we have a, a, an almost emergency state where we can make things better. Do you sense that there is a role for Epic to be one of the real solutions to this, recognizing the ubiquity of electronic health records and the contribution of, because of pluses and minuses, to physician and healthcare professional burnout? Oh yeah, we are um, we are right there on the front lines with you know hand in hand, arm in arm with our physicians, our doctors, our nurses, um, our organizations that are trying to deliver good care. To deliver good care, you got to not only take care of the patient, you got to take care of the people who are delivering the care, making their work experience a reliable experience, a, an efficient experience, making the software a joy to use, making the interactions that you have with it as friction-free as possible. I and mean, that's why we've got close to 10,000 people here. It's what they get up for uh, in the morning. This is what we come to work to do. And this is what all of these interactions with organizations that I've been talking about, um, all of the different points of contact and the work we do day to day is directed toward just that thing. And we are only a part of the total picture. Um, we need to be working together, uh, continue to be working together as a team um, with clear goals in mind. But uh, the things you described are absolutely top of mind, not just for our physician wellness and our nurse wellness teams, but for everybody who works here. How much do you harvest things off of social media 
to inform what you're trying to do. You know, there's on Twitter, there's the at Epic EMR parody account, which five figure followers, you know, and it's jokes and it's jibes. It's satire, sometimes pretty harsh satire, but man, does it have a following? You know, there's the, there's hashtag med Twitter. And so we, we kind of congregate on different things and we, we aggregate and we learn. And I'm sure you're aware, right? On, on satire sites like Gomer blog and, and Epic EHR parody and, and, just in general, in social media, people, people express themselves. How much do you use those expressions to inform that sense of urgency, a sense or a lack thereof of collaboration and shared understanding? Seth, I'll ask you, does that play a role or is that just shouting into the void? It is, it is an area where one can go to understand kind of how folks are feeling, but then I think it takes a deeper dive and a longer dialogue to really understand the solutions. Yeah. And so that's why I, I kind of go back to what I shared earlier around the immersion experiences, elbow to elbow with the clinician, um, the user group meeting. I mean, one of the key reasons we have the user group meeting here in Verona is the importance of being able to have all of our staff participate in it and hear from the organizations that are presenting there. And and that allows for that deeper level of dialogue that I often don't get out of some of those other social contexts. It it might be a jumping off point in some cases, certainly, but I think it needs to go to that next level so that then code can be written um, and curriculum right. updated those solutions sorts of properly. Things to be able to reflect and yeah. do something about it. No, that and that makes sense. I mean, it is unidirectional communication for the most part. Um, but then it's drawing in physician voices in real time. How do physicians share with Epic if they're having an experience? And do they? Individual physicians who are Epic users, or for any other, I know you can't speak for other EHR vendors, but are there pathways and do they share? And then what happens with that shared experience, that shared information, those shared ideas? Mm-hmm. So individual docs share with us all the time. Yeah. Um, talking with those docs and nurses is, uh, is a non-trivial part of what uh, my team and I do all the time. Now, healthcare and, and uh, EHRs to an extent are all local. Right. So at least with us, the very best way to get feedback that is going to be actionable is to go through your own local folks in uh, uh, well-structured organizations. Everybody is going to have a colleague, somebody that they know is plugged into their internal epic structure that's going to roll up to the clinicians who are um, the local experts and champions on that and all of those folks have a direct connection or multiple direct connections to us here in Verona. We're certainly, uh, we certainly do take uh, feedback and input from uh, a variety of folks who just, you know, will send us an email or something like that. But it can be even more effective to get on our user web, to get plugged into a webinar, to get uh, on some of our usability testing. And those things are open to anyone. Uh, the best starting point is identifying your own local clinical champion 
and uh, getting engaged with them to affect your own area and then building on that to help improve things for the rest of the Epic community. But yeah, those things are going on all the time. We take all of those things very seriously. That rolls into our development priorities, our educational priorities, what's working well. It's just as important not only to identify things where, hey, we can improve, but what's working well for people. And we take those things anytime we'll roll them into our clinical and financial programs that we put back into our base software that we roll out to current customers. So it's a continual cycle of improvement. So yeah, if you're a frontline nurse, doctor listening to this, you should know who, if you're, if you're in the Epic community, you should know who your local Epic champion is. If you don't, find out, have a conversation with them, get engaged with them, and figure out if there are ways that are of interest to you to get more involved. Be part of the team. Help all of us move things continually to a better place. One other aspect of this is that behind the scenes of the software, there's also the ability to understand how users are using the system, how responsive it is for them, where they are spending time, and then to compare and contrast that across organizations so that we can um, all be informed about opportunities to continue to improve the efficiency of folks in the software and have the data to do that in an informed way. We can't boil the ocean. I use that term a lot. You've both been very generous with your time. It's a huge topic. And when I, I didn't share with a lot of people that we were having this conversation and I'll share with you both that for me thinking this all through, it it is going to be a team effort. We're not going backwards. The three of us could have just sat here and punched each other in the face for 45 minutes, but I didn't think that was going to be very productive. (laughs) I think that there are, there's, you both seem to have and are engaged with where we are frustrated. And obviously that informs the work that you're doing. I think, what I'm taking away from you both is that we do have a process by which there will be progress. Um, I think we just need to keep track of how fast that's happening. And I think this idea of user feedback is one that we could probably circle back on and could also maybe be improved because we want to make sure that that is really easy, that people know that when they, when they bring up a problem, not only do they have the right connection, but that the problem actually gets solved. That, you know, switches are flipped and circuits are closed. So that problem gets better and that process gets smoother and faster and more efficient and most importantly, safer. But that all being said, you both did not have to come on this show. And I appreciate the fact that you stepped into that tension and recognize that you're going to talk with a physician who uses electronic health records. And Chris, Seth, thank you both very much for coming on the show. I would hope that we can do this again, especially as my group in Northern California moves to Epic. Um, and I think that that'll, it'll be, you know, this isn't going away. We're all in the prime of our career. We're going to be doing this for a while. And you both referenced the need for teamwork and collaboration. And this is a place we can do that. Tremendous. We would look forward to that. Happy to talk with you this time. Happy to talk with you again. Take care, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, 
And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.